0: And those that are here, there's no delay in the audio. (laughs) Sorry, too funny. Okay, Felix's big day. And uh, Courtney, I know you're watching and waiting, so in just a few moments we're going to have a video uh, about Felix's big day. Who's Felix? You'll find out, okay? Uh, It's about Palm Sunday, so you can only imagine where this is going to go. But before we do that, uh, I came across this quote from a uh, Greg Boyd, uh, The Friday morning Grounds and Grace Group was watching a video, and this quote came. Out of that video, and I thought it was brilliant because our concept or our image of God, there's a, there's a reason why we need to really visit that and uh, explore it. The beauty of our transformation will never outrun the beauty of our image of God. If you embrace a beautiful image of God, you'll be in the process of being transformed in a beautiful direction. But if you embrace an ugly uh, uh, picture of God, you'll be transformed in an ugly direction. Oh, I got a word wrong in there. Oops. Um, We will always become the God we worship. Now, that line blew me away. I've been saying, we will live like what we believe. Whatever you believe about God, you're going to live like it. Everyone does. If he doesn't exist, if he's angry all the time, if he's fully gracious, you're going to live like what you believe. So we've been digging into this here at Hope Fellowship for a long time, and we're not done. It's an endless, endless good news message. But Henry Nowen inspires us this morning with some hope because some of us need some hope. Oh, Hope Fellowship, right. This works. It is central in the biblical tradition that God's love for his people should not be forgotten. We forget so easily. It should remain with us in the present. When everything is dark, when we are surrounded by despairing voices, when we do not see any exits, then we can find salvation in a remembered love, a love that is not simply a wistful recollection of a bygone past, but a living force that sustains us in the present, through memory, love transcends the limits of time and offers hope at any moment of our lives. And I know many of you need hope right now. You're going through tough stuff, personal, family, relational, income, careers, all of that. You know, like kids, holy smokes. Like, there's, it's never ending. But we have a hope who lives in us, and that is Jesus We hope that you hear that every week, somehow, through a different way, different spectrum of of understanding. So, Felix's big day, how does this Palm Sunday thing start? It starts from a prophecy in Zechariah 9. You need to realize Palm Sunday was predicted. How would you like the prediction of a game to be accurate? Jay's leaves all that stuff okay i'm just i'm just saying if you knew in advance well, how exciting would that be you'd still watch and go okay just to see it really come true what no i'm kidding yes it's really come true <laughs> so in the same way the coming of jesus riding on a donkey was predicted a long, long time before anybody could collaborate their, their notes and, and set it up. Because there was like hundreds of years in between. And nobody lives long enough to, hey, tell so-and-so when, you know, when that time comes. that this is good. It's happening. So right here from Zechariah. So we're going to take a look at two key passages that are pre-Palm um, uh, uh, Sunday, tr- the triumphal entry. So rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, because that's where it happened. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Pause for a second. The song we just sang earlier the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Then why do we hear the church predict God is really ticked off? He's not. They are not. The Trinity is not angry with humanity. There is deep sadness with how humanity is treating each other. It's awful. But the Trinity is in love with its creation. Completely. Relentlessly. He's victorious and humble. That should be kind of a lesson to people who teach. They should kind of look like their teacher a little bit. kind. Slow to anger, gentle, humble. Oh my goodness, what a great list. Oh boy. (laughs) I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Beautiful, beautiful text. Now here's something crazy. I, I find something clicked for me when I read this. If you don't know this, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. Okay, you knew that. But what kind of Messiah? We have talked about this. They were really hoping for somebody that will take away the oppression of the Romans. Whoever the nation was that was attacking them or keeping them suppressed, they wanted freedom from that. And they were just, yeah! So they're really waiting for somebody who—it's almost like an earthly kingdom, but they didn't listen carefully because they couldn't. Holy Spirit had not given them revelation yet, but it was still predicted. I love this idea. The war horses, the, uh, I will remove battle chariots, I will destroy all the weapons. And yet, there's a rise of weaponry even in all our culture. Jesus came as a prince of peace. You want to look like Jesus? Be a person of peace. Quit getting off your big war horse and start riding a donkey and walk humbly. Seriously. His realm was stretch from sea to sea. So I can see how the misunderstanding of the disciples and what they're hoping would have come, and even the people shouting Hosanna, they may have been hoping for, because they could have read into this, the war horses will be gone, the weapons are gone. That means the Romans will be taken out. That means, oh, all the weapons will oh yay, it's coming. Can you see how they could see that? Yeah. Not quite what Jesus had in mind. Please, Lord. Please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna is what that's saying. But if you don't know that Hosanna means save us, suddenly our song may change a little bit. We sing Hosanna, Hosanna, like we think it's a worship song. But it's saying save me. Oh, wait. He did. So, huh, maybe, maybe we should think about some of our words. We have been. The last couple of years, we've been really digging into some words and what they mean. Uh, our Friday morning group's definitely doing that and having a little bit of fun with some of the words. And scriptures go, oh, okay, there's another layer I didn't know about. So, Felix. Who's Felix? Well, Felix is the donkey. Just saying, Felix is the donkey, so let's see what the parents and owners of Felix had to say about that big day. Just for fun, here we go.
1: No, no, because you like to use hyperbole. Hyperbole? I don't even know what that means. What does that even mean? I, it means I don't like to brag. Okay,
2: okay. There's nothing to brag about. Just, just, <clears throat> just tell them about Felix. Felix. <clears throat>
1: Okay, well, um, it was just another day. Nothing unusual about it.
2: Just skip all that and tell them about
1: Felix. Well, I can't skip all that. Details are important in the story. Yeah,
2: the only important detail in the story is how God used our little Felix.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that history is going to find everything else more important in this story.
2: (sighs) Jesus rode on our donkey Felix into Jerusalem.
1: (laughs) true, he did. He did. (laughs) Okay, so I was sitting there one day mending your temple garment.
2: I'm always tripping over that thing.
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's clumsy, (laughs) but he's my clumsy. So I'm sitting there sewing and I look out the window and I see these two guys and they're untying Felix.
2: Yeah, we, we generally keep him tied to the fence in the daytime so we don't have to shut the gate, you know, when we come in and out, in case we want to take him someplace. We're sharing the details now. Sorry. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, um, I come running outside and I said, hey there, fellas, just, just what do you think you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey there, fellas. <laughs> She's a tough cookie, this one, huh? <laughs> And all they said was, uh, the Lord needs it. That's it, no explanation, no, no, we'll bring him back, no, how much do you want for him, just, the Lord needs it. So I come home from work, and I
2: notice that Felix is missing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to break the news to him that I let some strangers take our donkey.
2: And that's when we heard all the shouting. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, and, and we rush to the door, and, and we go outside, and... And we just see, throngs of people lining the streets,
1: and they're all, they're waving their branches, mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. saying, "Hosanna! <sighs> Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord."
2: And guess who is right in the middle of all of it? Jesus. Felix. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, he was. I mean, I was just so proud of our Felix. <laughs> I mean, God used Felix to carry Jesus in the Messiah parade. I'm proud of this woman right here. Because we got to be used by God that day. Because you said yes. You said yes when everybody else would have said no.
1: By the way, Jesus gave Felix back.
2: Ah, yeah, he did. (laughs) Hmm. Jesus also borrowed a tomb later that week. Yeah. He gave that back
0: too. Back over to me. Awesome. Felix, huh? Yeah. There you go, uh, Courtney. I hope you left with us. That was funny. The big day. What happened on that day? Interesting that they pulled one line out of that, that she said yes. They could have said no. We don't know if that was God in advance, softening their heart. We don't know all that. But it all happened. Let's read it. Matthew 11, 1 to 11 from the New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. I wonder if it had a sign, never ridden, never ridden. I just don't know. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, The Lord needs it. Now, this is a paraphrase, and we'll return it soon (laughs) to make everybody else feel better. (laughs) The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside, outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystander demanded, Hey, what are you doing untying that colt? And now, how would you like to be the disciple? Well, the Lord needs it. Can you, like, can you imagine? Can you imagine the tension? Like, I hope this works or we're going to get mobbed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <sighs> what are you doing with that cold? And they said, they said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, or Greek in Greek it says, Hosanna, an exclamation of praise that literally means save now, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. So, Jesus came to Jerusalem and went to the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left. Did anybody ever read that before? was <laughs> like, what? You went there to walk around and left? Seriously? I, I find it funny. There's a lot of things in scripture that are really funny if you think about it. But this is puzzling. Could another translation say he spoke? He may have. It all depends on, on the, four, remember we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one has a different lens on how they see this story. But that's what this writer, Mark, saw. He left because it was late in the afternoon and returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So he rode back. I wonder how he got back. Did he, <laughs> did he ride the donkey back? It doesn't tell us. Anyway, just lots of things, lots of questions. But this is the story from one lens. What do we do with it? Well, I'm going to tell you something that happened before this that's really, really important. Because the triumphal entry is right before, like the week or days before Jesus' death. There's a lot going on. It's like the ramping up. At the very end of our message, I'm going to read from John John's picture of what happened. It's going to kind of tie the story together a bit better for you. I'm not leaving stuff out. I'm going to come around to it. Matthew 17, six days later, whatever happened before that, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, Jacob and John, or James, and hiked up the high mountain to be alone. Then Jesus' appearance was dramatically altered. A radiant light as bright as the sun poured from his face And his clothing became luminescent, dazzling like lightning. He was transfigured before their very eyes. (laughs) Then suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared. And they spoke with Jesus. Okay. First, when he does the freaky tiki matrix light up, from the inside thing. (laughs) Like, okay, that's freaky enough. Bright as the sun. They must be really, what? Listen, they have seen a lot of stuff. And after the story, there's a whole bunch more miracles and stories and parables that are going to be shared. But what happens with this glorification, this transfiguration? Let's talk about the transfiguration. Moses, when he went up Mount Sinai and received an impartation of glory his face shone and had to be veiled pause there for a second but did it have to be veiled i don't think so i think his glory was waning and he didn't want people to notice so out of pride he covered it so people couldn't tell as easily go read it yep the transfiguration of jesus It's also part of our destiny for the same Greek word is used twice for believers being transfigured by the renewing of our minds and by the glory of Christ within us that will complete our transfiguration into Christ's image. The significance of Moses and Elijah, this is important. Moses and Elijah appeared. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. Both Moses and Elijah were associated with Mount Sinai. Both had a ministry of performing astounding minist- or miracles, and both had unusual circumstances surrounding their passing from this life into glory. So this is, it's odd that now we have the three. Peter blurted out, Lord! Lord! It's so wonderful that we're here together if you want. I'll construct three shrines. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Well, why didn't he make a shrine for Jesus before? He knew him already. Just kidding. I don't know. But while Peter was still speaking, as in Jesus wasn't having a word or taking any of that in. But somebody recorded this and heard this. A radiant cloud composed of light spread over them, enveloping them all. And God's voice suddenly spoke from the cloud saying, this is my dearly loved son, the constant focus of my delight or on whom my favor rests. Here's the most important words. Listen to him. Why would God say that? I have a really strong hunch. The disciples were extremely well versed in the law of Moses and the prophets. And when God does not say, listen to all three, he says, listen to my son. He's the only one who's got it right. The three disciples were dazed and terrified by this phenomena, phenomena, nah, nah. and they fell face down to the ground. But Jesus walked over and touched them saying, get up, stop being afraid. Like how many times you guys keep being scared at stuff? Like walking on the water, I freaked you out, but I have to keep telling you, don't be afraid. Isn't that interesting? And yet in our culture today, fear is the number one dominant thing hindering us from experiencing the presence of Christ in us. Fear. When he finally opened their eyes, sorry, when they finally opened their eyes and looked around, they saw no one else there but Jesus. As they all hiked down the mountain together, Jesus ordered them, don't tell anyone of the divine appearance you just witnessed. Wait until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, if you're reading the story, like, before and after, he is warning them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Son of man's going to die. He's telling them over and over again. And they're not believing it. Here he says, look, you just saw a really amazing miracle and I'm telling you, I'm going to be raised from the dead, which means i got to die. (laughs) His disciples asked him, why do all the religious scholars insist that Elijah must appear before the anointed one comes? And he answered them, they're right. Elijah must come first and restore all things. <clears throat> but Elijah's already appeared. What? And yet, they didn't recognize him. So they did to him whatever they pleased. <clears throat> and the Son of Man is destined to suffer the same abuse as what they did to him. Then the disciples realized that Jesus was referring to John the Baptizer all along. John the Baptist was the forerunner. See, this is all prophecy. It was all foretold. If you get enough predictions right, there's something consistent here, okay? Unlike these end times people who predict and predict and predict and they're wrong every time. Like seriously, why do people still listen to that stuff? Well, let's take a look at John 12. Let's revisit this triumphal entry and catch up some missing parts. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Everyone was shouting, Lord, be our Savior, or Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes to us, sent from Jehovah God, the King of Israel. Then Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your king coming to you riding on a young donkey. Where's that from? Right at the beginning, we talked about Zechariah. This is a quote from Zechariah. So let's talk about the palm for just a moment. The palm tree is a symbol of triumph, victory over death. Palms grow in the desert and overcome parched climates. They last when there's no water. How is that possible? Conquering kings would then also ride on a war horse, Or in a golden chariot, but Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's the king of peace, not of war. Not of war. King of peace. That means for you and I too. To be people of peace. What's that look like? I don't know. I have so much unlearning to do. Continuing on, now Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place, but after he was raised and exalted into glory, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scripture that were written about him. Now, do you remember the road to Amos? When Jesus kind of disguises himself and walks with these two people and and, kind of gets himself invited to dinner and all that fun stuff, but he's explaining the prophets and all the prophecies and how they pointed to Jesus right from Genesis right through to Malachi he explains the prophecies that I think would have been the most exciting conversation to loop into Do you know when they ask this question well if you want to go back in a moment in time where would you want to go back to that, that could be one that's one of my that's one of my top ones because like something is explained so clearly and right from the I could say horse's mouth, but donkey's mouth, but that's not good either. So right from Jesus' mouth. (laughs) Honestly, this is all about the foretelling. All the eyewitnesses of the miracle Jesus performed when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. The news of this miracle of resurrection caused the crowds to swell as great numbers of people welcomed him into the city with joy. Keep in mind, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, it wasn't just Jesus on the chopping block. The Pharisees, they were trying to find a way. They're like the mafia. They put a hit out on Jesus. And we're going to get him get him to a quiet place and take him out. Yeah, you're going to help me? The same thing. They suddenly put Lazarus on the same hit list. I had to take them both up because Lazarus' resurrection was indisputable. Dead for four days, not like 10 hours, you know, some who knows where they really died. Like you can you can rationalize all the other way, but four days? He's pretty dead. He's not like in the Princess Bride, well, mostly dead. No, he's he's really dead. And that became a cause. And the word spread. But the Pharisees, and like the end of a good episode of a a TV series and you have to watch the next one, you can't wait for the next one, but the Pharisees were disturbed by this and said to each other, we won't be able to stop this. The whole world is gonna go run after him. And guess what happened that week? The mafia takes him out. That's right. But not like a surprise. Jesus didn't get... Surprised or caught off guard, he submitted to this. That is, a, that is probably a tough thing to contemplate, the submission that Jesus did. Because usually, you know, he's God, so, you know, everybody's supposed to submit to him. Can you imagine that high up the totem pole, that top pinnacle submitting to lower? Who does that? That's not in our world systems. But that's what the Trinity did. The Trinity submitted to the torture, to the wrath of man. Oh, yeah. We're going to end with this. Came across this this morning, two minutes after he posted it, and went, this is good. This is like our devotional at the end of our conversation this morning. Bill Thrasher wrote this. The most perfect lamb born in Bethlehem had been selected. This would be the sacrifice whose blood would cover the altar for the entire nation through every family. One week before the celebration of deliverance, shouting joys of thankfulness, the people watched as this chosen one was led down the Mount of Olives. They waved cut branches from palm trees laying them on the road ahead of the annual caravan led into the temple this Pesach symbol would be publicly observed until the appointed time looking on were those who desperately desired to know freedom and peace wishing for their Messiah to be among them a chosen warrior who would lay waste to their enemies, a champion conquering on this war horse. While well, the gentle lamb wept. He climbed onto a humble foal, followed the jubilant procession. His appointment, his appointed time was there. The chosen warrior who would lay waste to their greatest enemy, a champion conquering death. And brokenness forever. The people shouted praises of deliverance and laid their palms beneath the path of redemption. As this, the perfect Lamb made his way to the temple to be observed, to be tested, to be broken and slain for you. This is what Palm Sunday is about the reminder of what it took for Christ to lay down his life for you and me. We get to be the beneficiaries of all that suffering and the love that was poured out. Part of the story, Jesus is questioned because it could seem proud to sit on a donkey and have people praise you. But who would recognize that? Those who are proud. (laughs) Who want it for themselves. And the Jewish leader said, you're going to let them say that about you? Like, who are you? He, Jesus said, listen, if they're not going to, even the rocks are going to cry out. All creation. Because this day was the beginning of the change of everything. And everything did change. Oh, and so did you. We have been made new creation. We have been transformed Now we need to live out that transformation of our mind and believe it. This gift of grace that has been given to us, I wonder what we would have done. Would we have shouted Hosanna, hoping for the anti-Roman cheering crowd? Probably, because you're conditioned by your culture. (laughs) You just are. We are too. It's easy to get caught up in those things, and yet we are called to live to something higher than our cultural settings and short-term whims, short-term political things. We're called to live by Christ and let Christ live out of us. Our opinions probably don't matter much. They really don't. But instead, how we live the loved life which means you need to first believe you are loved. And I think that's where most of our culture is stuck at. They don't know they're loved. Because they see themselves as yucky, incomplete, broken, multiple personalities, dual natures, all that stuff that creeps in and messes up our thinking. Jesus came with a purpose and he won. Rob Bell was right love wins. Don't ever forget it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, remind us to listen to Jesus, not Moses or Elijah. For Jesus embodies all that and defines it clearer in what love looks like. Unlike the written law, unlike the prophecies, Jesus is the one we are called to listen to. It looks so different than our culture. Show us the way deep inside. Slow us down to hear your voice. And this week, as we prepare for Easter, may we take time just to contemplate on what Jesus may have went through, what his disciples could have gone through, and be thankful for what we have in Christ. Amen. I'm going to let you guys out a few minutes earlier so we can beat the Pentecostals to Swishelli. Just kidding.